heart disease, like the stealth bomber, flies in to destroy under the radar. Physical heart disease can shorten this present life, but spiritual heart disease can cause us to lose our life forever. This is a stealth disease the Apostle Paul tries to expose in Romans 2, 17 and following. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson. If you were the Roman church, let's just go back in time and in our back to the future time machine, and you go back to the church of Rome, they would probably meet on a Sunday night, which by the way was a work day. So a lot of you, you've been working hard all week. The early church didn't have Sunday off because that wasn't one of the holy days. But the early church started celebrating that because that's the day that Jesus was resurrected. They would get a letter. They would open up a parchment scroll. And just to make it really accurate, they would read a little bit from the Old Testament. And then they would read like a letter. Like I can see one of the elders in the church of Rome saying, I want to just tell you, we just received a letter from a man that you've heard about. He's one of the foundational apostles of the church. He's coming to visit us and we've received his letter and we're going to read it. And so let's look at uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. They didn't have the verses, all right? That was added much later, but it's, aren't you thankful we have the verses? It'd be really hard to be able to find things. So look at verse 17 and I'll read it for you. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, and we might want to add in, uh, because Paul is Jewish, and like I just mentioned the Holocaust, uh, we don't want to communicate any anti-Semiticism. So I could say you, if you call yourself an evangelical, anybody would call yourself that? Okay. And that's a good word, by the way. You know, that means that you're committed to the gospel of Christ that Paul declares in Romans. But that's the idea. If you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and you brag about your relationship to God or you boast about it, if you know his will and you approve what is excellent, what is superior, what's the very best in decisions for morality, because you're instructed by the law. If you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, you're a light for those who are in the dark, you're an instructor of the foolish, you're a teacher of infants... Because you have the law, the very embodiment of the fundamental principles of life. That's what he's saying. The embodiment of the fundamental principles of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing. Now Paul's speaking about me. Anybody ever tell your kids not to steal? So don't point the finger too hard at me, but I'm included here. If you speak against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery. Anybody ever tell their kids, I want you to be morally pure? Anybody here that's ever told your kids, I want you to be morally pure, raise your hand. I want you to follow what the Bible says. Okay, so he's speaking to us. If you who teach others not to commit adultery, obey the the seventh commandment, do do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? That's a confusing one. We'll talk more about that later. You who brag about the law. Again, it's not so negative here. You who boast about having God's law. How many of you are, are really proud in a good sense about having God's word in your hand? Isn't that great? And that's a marvelous gift you have. Well, that's the audience Paul was speaking to. You who boast in your pride about having the law. Do you dishonor God by breaking the law as it is written? And then he quotes from Isaiah from Ezekiel. 
God's name is cursed. It's blasphemed. It's made fun of. It's mocked among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision. That has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as those you had not who had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The Jews would start fighting Paul on that point. We'll talk about that. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and the circumcision are lawbreakers. Just to get you a feel this a little bit. Uh, if you, those of you who have not been baptized in the church of Christ, those of you have, who have not been walked the aisle in a Baptist church, those of you who have not been baptized in Melothian Bible Church, if you haven't done any of those things, but if you really obey what the Scripture teaches, which, by the way, that would lead to making some of those external things, but Paul's point, just because maybe you were born here and all your friends, when you're turned 12, everyone gets baptized. How many of you have been in churches like that? And sometimes our our church can rapidly become like that. That's the idea. If you were Jewish, you would say, I was circumcised on the eighth day. It was a very holy ceremony. The rabbi cut me and I became one of the covenant people. Every Jewish man in this audience would die for circumcision. In the Maccabean period, the right of circumcision was denied. They wouldn't let moms and Jewish daddies take their boys to be circumcised. And Jewish men and women lost their lives for the right of circumcision. Do you feel that? So by the time that Paul's writing Romans, they're proud of this. I'm circumcised. So these are fighting words. Paul is saying, hey, some of your friends that are Gentiles, they're not circumcised. They don't have the law. But if they obey the law written in their hearts, isn't that going to be better than circumcision? I want you to feel that. We'll talk more about that. A man is not a Jew. A man is not a Jewish person. And we would say a man is not a a person. He's not a Bible church person. He's not an evangelical if he's only one outwardly. So outward things. Let's start to think about that. Outward things to Paul aren't that important. No. Circumcision merely on the outward and physical. No. A man is a Jewish person. He's an evangelical. He's a real Baptist. He's a real Bible church person. He's a real Methodist. If he's one inwardly and he's circumcised, the circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from those sitting around him in church Sunday morning. His praise is not from men and women, but it comes from God. Amen? Isn't the word of God precious? As a pastor teacher, I often go and visit people in the hospital. One of the major things that I do is to visit people in the hospital. I want to share something you might not have thought about. If I go to visit somebody with a kidney disease, like Dr. Sumi was a dear friend of mine, and I've told you that story in the past, he was dying my whole upbringing. I went to visit him when I was 12 on the way to Florida, and my dad said this is the very last time you'd be able to see Dr. Sumi because he has terminal uh, kidney disease, and I saw him all through every year going to Florida. I saw him. I went to college for four years. I ended up at Dallas Seminary, and guess who was the chaplain of the seminary? Dr. Sumi. But I want to share something with you about Dr. Sumi. When you went to see Dr. Sumi, he was yellow. 
you knew he had kidney disease, especially near his dialysis. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever seen somebody with kidney disease? Am I right? Some of you that are in medicine, I'm, I'm, I'm being accurate, aren't I? I want to share something with you. Most forms of cancer, Mary will say to me, like with, with some, she's often said this, and I say in Mary's next life, and that's not biblical at all, but Mary's next life, she's going to be a medical doctor. She has great discernment, and I'd say she's going to get thrown in jail for practicing medicine around the church family without a license. But when Mary tells me someone doesn't look good, time and time again, I'll find out later when their MRIs come in, that they have cancer. Something's not right in their eyes. Something's not right in the color of their color. Something's not right in their hands, the color of their hands. That makes sense? How many of you have ever seen somebody with cancer, especially if it starts to progress, you know they have cancer. But I want to share something about heart disease. I have often been in the hospital with heart patients. I mean, they're getting ready to have an angiogram, which will often lead to an angioplast or even heart surgery. And you would never know it. For example, I was with Don Crabb years ago. He's, he's a great big guy. Some of you remember him. He was about six foot three, probably weighed 215 pounds, looked like an old linebacker. And Don looked really good on the outside. But he had a serious heart disease. And it was back in the olden days, and they did bypass. It was like launching the space shuttle, and Don Crabb was up at St. Paul, and man, it was an all-day thing. But what I remember about Don is you would never guess he had heart disease. My brother-in-law, John Van Campen, John died of heart disease when he was 40. The summer before he died, I was at Medicine Bow Peak in Wyoming, and I climbed to the top of it carrying Josh on my shoulders. Right behind me, we started, we didn't climb up the whole mountain, but we started 2,000 feet below the top of the summit, and it was above the tree line. We parked our cars at the tree line, beautiful mountain uh, lakes. But then John and I, I carried Josh on my shoulders, and he carried right behind me across. How many of you have ever been on the rocks in the Rockies? You know, where it's sliding and everything. How many of you, even that are really in shape, have felt, man, this is killing me. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? The air is thin. I'm dying carrying Josh. Right behind me was John carrying Katie. Same age as Josh. That's the way heart disease is. Heart disease doesn't look like anything's wrong. And I'm sure a cardiologist is much more trained than I am will tell me, yeah, Dave, there's some telltale signs. And I do know some of those signs. Like if you, know, if you suddenly start walking and you start having, like somebody's putting their foot right in your chest, there's a good chance you better get checked out this week. Okay? But I want to know on the outside, you'll eat pretty good. You will, you will be able to carry on your schedule. You're a little bit sluggish. But heart disease is really hard to detect on the outside. Now, this morning, it's possible that some of you have spiritual heart disease. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The Apostle Paul in this chapter is speaking about people that their heart is really diseased. And by the way, I want you to know something. The Apostle Paul believes that everyone's heart spiritually is diseased. Did you hear what I said? The Apostle Paul, contrary... I heard Mary was watching a really cool blues program last night. And one of the leading, I think it was B.B. King, one of the great, great blues players, said that I believe that people are basically good. And, and they do bad things. But the reason I play blues music is that it speaks to life. And, it's, and I love B.B. King's music. 
But his theology is wrong. Bad people do bad things. Did you hear what I said? How many of you have ever done a bad thing? You did a bad thing because the Bible tells you the truth. You have terminal, interior, spiritual heart disease. And the, and the hardest person to get that across to is the person that goes to church every Sunday. In the first century, the hardest person to convince that they needed radical heart surgery was the person who looked really good on the outside and was proud about their religious condition. So one thing I want to really get across to you is the Apostle Paul's not speaking against Jews. And I need to make that really clear because this passage has been used. In fact, a lot of Romans has been used against Jews. And that's why I put in there... Baptist person, Presbyterian person, then I hit myself. What about us Bible church people, okay? So he starts out, and what he's teaching you is he's teaching you the basic laws of morality. I want you to think about him. He starts out by sharing in verses 17 through 24 the first law of teaching morality to others. How many of you want to get across good moral principles to your kids? Okay? How many of you want to do that? You all want to do that, right? Okay, here's rule number one. Teach yourself. How many, doesn't that make sense? You know, you're sitting there smoking a cigarette, you know, drinking a beer, and, you know, you're half plastered because you drank about eight of them. And you say to your kid, he's 10 years old, now one thing I want you never to do, don't ever smoke these things, man. They're going to kill you. And you need to never get drunk. Kids, how do you like that? Doesn't that, doesn't that get along really good? See, deep in your soul, you all know... This isn't going to fly. A teacher can't just teach with their mouth. So the first law of principle, a principle of teaching morality to others is you need to teach yourself. And that's where Paul starts out. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, you call yourself an evangelical, and you rely on the law, and I want you to understand this is a good thing. Paul starts out with some really positive things. The law that the Jewish people had was a good thing. You agree? Do I need to develop that? Yeah. He goes on and says, and you brag about your, or you boast about having intimacy with God. What other people, I want you to know something. It wasn't, it wasn't to a North American person like me, white Caucasian, that the Lord chose to come down in a mountain and talk to me. He did that to a Jew. So you be really careful what you call a Jew. Because they're the people on earth, and the Lord says it's not because they earned it, but they happen to be the people on earth where God himself came down on a mountain, and he said, Moses, here's my instruction manual. They got it. And Paul's not demeaning that. He's saying that's a good thing. But in the first century, the Jewish people became very proud. We have God's law and we have intimacy with God. And they, then he goes on and develops it. If you approve what the will of God, you approve what is superior, and you're instructed by the law, I want you to know something. If you build your life based upon this book, you will be protected. You will be more healthy. You will probably save yourself untold agony. Because you'll have a very sharp ability. Even if you're a young person, you won't have to learn in the school of hard knocks. You'll be able to say, man, I know from the book of Proverbs, I know from the book of Deuteronomy, that's a no-no. 
I shouldn't associate with that person. That person's going to get me fried. And there's big red lights going on, and you'll be able to say, man, I'm only 16 years of age, but I can approve what is excellent. I can approve what's going to be the pathway of success, and I'm not going to have to wake up when I'm 30 and suddenly find out what the ropes of life are. By the way, like a very simple thing. A bunch of kids haven't learned yet that you need to leave your father and your mother. On the third page of scripture, really the second one in some versions, it says a man should fall in love with a woman, he should cling to her, and he should leave his father and mother. You want to grow up? You got to get out on your own. You got to earn your own way. Even if you eat graham crackers and saltine crackers till you're vomiting them up, you got to leave. You say, Dave, that's so mean. Young men, you want to be able to look at your dad in the eye and say, I love you, dad. Thanks. And I want you to know I'm now a man too. How many of you men would like to do that? Young men, you want to be able to do that? You know how you do that? You don't tell them. You know, I want to be able to drive the car. I want to be able to live at your house. I want to be able to do whatever I want to. But I don't pay any bills. Because as long as dad pays the bills, he's in control. Whoever pays the money is an authority. Amen? Okay, all I'm teaching you is basic, fundamental, Old Testament law. And Paul is saying... This is a good thing. If you listen to it, you'll embody good principles. All good so far. He says, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind. How many of you will ever go out among your unbelieving friends at work and feel you guys are blind as a bat? Anybody feel that? Come on. He says, so you're a guide to the blind. You're a light for those who are in the dark. All of these are good things. You're an instructor of those that are foolish. That make, How many of you are around people that don't know Jesus? And this, how many of you have shaken your head this week and said, I just can't believe it? How stupid could you get? Anybody done that? Come on, tell me. Has that happened? How many of you ever done some of those things, right? Paul's saying, if you're an instructor for the foolish, that's really good. You even, you're a teacher for infants spiritually because you have God's instruction manual, the law. You have the embodiment of true knowledge and truth. Then Paul nailed it. says, okay, you're teaching others. You got to teach yourself. When every mom and dad, every person in this room, every boy and girl, myself included, it's really important for us, what Paul is saying is, If you want to influence others for the right, it begins with your actions, not with your words. And how many of you would agree with that? We all know that. And this week, we need to get really serious about that. We would agree with Paul. He says, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? This is income tax time. How many of you have ever told your kids not to steal? Anybody here ever done that? Okay. You just filled out your income tax. Did you steal? Oh, but they, the government cheats like crazy. I don't like those. Those congressmen disagree with me. Nancy Pelosi just went to Syria, and I hate Syria's guts. And she usurped her power. So I have a right not to pay what I need to pay. Amen? Don't you say amen to that. You stole. <laughs> if you cheated on your income tax, like when my accountant 
because my, my income tax, I'm so stupid. You know, I almost have a math major, still can't do my taxes. But it says, write to my account, write to me a letter. You are vouching for the veracity of this information I gave. Anybody ever gotten a letter like that? And I make choices. Is this really a meal for the church? Because like one of my things as a pastor teacher is it's part of my responsibility. And I've chosen that I, in my own life personally, like I don't get receipts for my meals. So I have to keep tracking them. That's fine. That's totally legitimate. Okay? But that's part of my giving. It's legal. But I have to make decisions. Is this really a meal for the church? When I took Mary out for a really good Japanese meal, sushi, got to get it right, good. Was that really for the church? Or was that for her personal birthday? You got me? Nobody will ever know. In fact, to be honest with you, I could go before an accountant, an internal revenue accountant, and I could prove in a court of law, and in my next life, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to use my mouth for, in the court. But I could argue very persuasively, yeah, it was. We talked about this and this and this and this. In my heart, I know not that one. You got me? So Paul says, if you teach others not to steal, do you steal? There are going to be businessmen, as I'm speaking to you, businessmen and women this week. You're going to make all kinds of decisions about not stealing. And I want to challenge you, like Pat in construction. And Pat always, you know, Pat says, I'm sorry, Pat, I'm going to pick on. But in Pat's business, like as a superintendent, don't you, Pat, have to make all kinds of decisions about whether or not it's, it's legit. And one of the biggest problems he would have, like the guy that I worked with, they stole nails. They stole tools. Especially when they got angry and were ready to leave a job. They, they, they came back and stole all... Isn't that right? It's almost factored in. When I, and I'm sure there's been a radical reformation. And now that nobody does that in construction. But when I work construction, stealing was a major part. And it was inside stealing. Okay? So Paul is really getting down to the nitty gritty. He's telling us the truth. If you teach others not to steal, I want to share with you. You know one of the you say, well, Dave, how can I be a witness for Jesus this week? Don't steal. Don't steal. He goes on and says, if you tell others not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? So I tell leaders all the time, I'd be a one woman man. Mary's the only one. If I go to a mall and Mary's with me. And I, I saw a guy yesterday, he's like this, a beautiful knockout, perfect 10 went down. He turned, he even went, and really, you know, most guys, you know, they, they cheat, you know, I mean, they, they, at least they keep it. This guy turned around, folded his arms, psh, and I've been with a lot of guys, Bible-believing guys, that's okay. There's a whole bunch of you in this room that consider that okay, because you did nothing with your hands, didn't use your feet. And some of you have learned to do it without even your eyes. You do it all by yourself when nobody else knows and you're looking at stuff. That's adultery. Because our Savior taught us if you do it in your heart, if you would, if you could. Now, he's not saying that the thought comes to your mind, you're a dirty, rotten guy and you've sinned. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're committed to him, if you really do have a new heart in Christ, that when you're tempted just like that, you turn to your legitimate love and you don't crucify your wife and you don't make her feel like she disappears because she's the one that needs to hear your words of praise. She's the one that needs to know she's got your eyes. And by the way, ladies, your men are eye people. 
So it's very important in legitimate marriages for you to meet those needs in your husband. And the Bible teaches about that. So it works both ways. And with the ladies, Paul would say, do you teach your daughters not to commit adultery? And yet they see you on the telephone talking to a guy at work. They see you emailing them, your cell phone filled with calls. And you say it's just work. But what's happening in your heart is this guy at work is telling you how great you are and how skilled you are and how much he appreciates you. And you find yourself emotionally, wow, do I want to get that next cell phone call, ladies? That's adultery. If you're married, that's adultery. And you'll tell me, oh, yeah, but my husband's a jerk. He never listens to me. And because you call him that, you're leaving yourself wide open for adultery. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And by the way, we're not going to have much influence on Midlothian as long as Midlothian Bible Church has one marriage after another breaking up to the same degree. How many think New York's a pagan place, isn't it? Don't you think New York's a pagan place? How many of you think Connecticut, where Josh and and Laura are? Yale's a pagan place, isn't it, in New Haven? You know what? At the heart of the Bible Belt, where there's churches in every corner, the divorce rate back on the East Coast, where I was raised, is lower than it is here. And so Paul's message to us is not just about Jews. It's about people that say, we go to church. We have God's law. And he's saying, you tell others not to commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? And he's saying, you've got to turn that MRI back on you, that spiritual MRI. You need to look at what's really going on. The third thing he says, you tell others you're abhorred by idolatry. You're abhorred by all these idol temples. In the world that Paul wrote this letter to, there were temples everywhere you could look, all kinds of temples that were worshiping false gods. And the apostle Paul is saying, you're abhorred by that. A Jew would be abhorred. How many would be abhorred if you lived in Malaysia and you saw thousands upon thousands of people bowing down and bringing fruit offerings to, to idols? My sons, Joel and Courtney, my daughter-in-law, have been in Malaysia just to be hit in the face. My dad went to India several times and you'll be right in a city where instead of there being like First Baptist and the Bible Church, there's all these temples, beautiful temples, and then there's idols in the temple. And as a believer, you're saddened about it, but you, you're a poor, like, how could you think that that's a God? The Apostle Paul says, but do you make money from that idolatrous temple? And what some of the Jews did in their history, they would attack pagan temples and just level it with an army and then take the gold because riches, it was like the banks of the ancient world. But another very subtle thing they would do, like, for example, if you're in Ephesus and you're a Jewish person, you go to your synagogue, but the population in Ephesus, the big money-making thing is to make Diana, greatest Diana of the Ephesians, Diana statues. So the idea is I worship in my synagogue as a Jewish person, but during the week I have a whole bunch of people working for me that make Diana idols. You say, well, we never do that. One of our major evangelical political leaders, one of the major leaders against abortion, against homosexual marriages, standing for what's right in government, standing against gambling, his whole career fell because he received a ton of money from a guy that was setting up gambling things for Indians. And that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about that you say, I'm abhorred by all these things that pagan people do, but then you make money from it. 
And that's when it gets convicted. That makes sense. I'm trying to make like we don't like to think of robbing idol temples. That's what he's saying. Be careful of that. An example of this would be, let's suppose I make a career. Like, how many of you think that our church is against abortion? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. How many of you, if you have had abortion, how many of you feel that our church will be a place where you could be forgiven? I'll check whether you're getting grace or not. Okay. That's true, by the way. If you've had an abortion, you're in a good place. We want you to turn away from things that will really hurt you. And we, you can be forgiven because of the blood of Calvary because all of us need that. Okay, but let's suppose that I taught for years against abortion. And when Janae was growing up and she got to be about 15 years of age, horror of the fall, let's suppose that I find out she was pregnant and I don't let any of you know that, but I take her to a place and have her have an abortion. What do you think about that? That's what happens among evangelical believers like crazy. More than you'd ever think. In fact, if you took those that claim to be evangelical out of having abortions, there'd be a powerful movement throughout our land. There'd be a tremendous drop. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about. He's saying, you got to let, if you're going to tell others not to be immoral, if you're going to tell others not to do these immoral things, then you got to let it get into your practice, okay? That's what he's sharing. And he closes with, he says, you who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And I want to ask you today, how many of you have gone public? I'm an evangelical believer. If you go out, I want to share with you the most powerful thing you can do this week is to let not your own self-righteousness, but the power of Jesus enable you this week not to break God's law. And he quotes a verse from the Old Testament from both Isaiah and Ezekiel. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. How many of you have ever had an unbeliever say, I would become a believer, but I met a church-going person and they messed up my life? Anybody that's ever had that happen, raise their hand. That's Paul's point. In fact, right now in our land, a major thing is there's a big divide between those that say they believe in the gospel and those that turn away from Jesus completely. And this side over here that turned away from Jesus, they say, you don't practice what you preach. How many of you have ever heard that? So as you get really excited about the trends in our land and you get really discouraged about the way, how many of you have been really discouraged? And how many of you ever feel like, well, there's nothing I can do? You ever feel that way? I want to share with somebody. There's something you can do. You can leave this auditorium right this morning. You know what you can do? Let the Holy Spirit make you practice what you preach. Do you hear what I said? Don't you get angry. Don't just get angry. And don't you just say, well, there's nothing I can do. Oh, yeah, you businessmen and women this week can go out into the world and you can change things. And it begins with you. In school, everyone cheats. You kids can change things by not cheating, by letting the Holy Spirit give you the power. You say, man, all my friends are immoral, and you can change things in Midlothian High School this week, one person at a time, by practicing what you preach. And I believe there would be a great movement of the Spirit. The second thing that Paul talks about, he tells us, if you look in the next section there, the second law of teaching morality, that there's real moral actions, not membership in religious group, count for everything. He focuses on circumcision. And I want you to know, like, how many of you have ever been in touch with somebody that's part of a religious group and you think they're proud of it? Anybody ever met someone like that? Yeah. 
Well, that's what it was in the first century. A Jewish person was really proud in verse 25 that they were circumcised. And this is what they held. How many of you have ever met somebody and said, well, I was baptized, so for sure I'm going to go to heaven? Anybody? That's an old Church of Christ doctrine. By the way, a ton of Church of Christists don't believe that anymore. But when I was going through seminary, the dominant belief was I was baptized in the Church of Christ. We're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. All the rest of you are out. Anybody ever heard that? That'll, I just mentioned that to you. By the way, I want to stress again, lots of, the Church of Christ, my friends now that are major leaders here in Milotian don't believe that. They follow Max Lucado and Grace and that. Does that make, you understand what I'm saying? But I want you to feel what a Jewish person felt because a lot of you aren't, aren't close. Like I was raised with a lot of Jewish kids. So when I read this passage, I go, yeah, 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 that's exactly how. And I've been to Jewish services, but I know I'm speaking to an audience. A lot of you, how many of you have ever been to a Jewish service on a Friday night? So you see what I got? How many of you ever been to a bar mitzvah when somebody became... A few of you, my, my fellow Easterners are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that, okay? But you can feel this. And what they felt great pride because I have the outward symbol. What Paul is saying, this is really important. He's driving his audience. It's not whether you've been dunked in physical water. It's not whether a literal priest put his hand on you or threw water on you. It's not, and by the way, like in our church, Mary asked me, when we dedicate a baby, I'm not saying anybody that's done this, but I want you to stop and think about it. You want to get your baby dedicated. Why do you want that? Because deep in your soul, a lot of you think, if, if I pray over that baby, that the baby will be safer. Anybody of you think that? And we did this religious thing. Well, I got news for you. If you only come to church and only listen to God's word when you're getting ready for that baby to be dedicated and we all stand up and say we're going to make a holy vow that we're going to raise this child and nurture and admonition of the Lord, my prayers aren't magic. And that's what you all begin to think. It's a very powerful thing in you, especially if you want to sin. If you want to do the wrong thing, you feel guilty about it. Like if you haven't been in the Word, if you haven't been attending church regularly, and you have this precious little one, you want to try to cover your base. And as modern, younger parents, you want to get a professional. Instead of teaching, like if you want to teach your kids math, teach them math yourself. Your kids can learn math from you. Don't get angry at the school teacher. You can teach them. What I'm saying is take responsibility. And the Apostle Paul is saying it's not the outward thing. It's not because you're part of this group, but it's what really happened in your heart. And then he closes with this. And this is powerful words. The Jews in the first century said, I'm a Jew because I physically have this book. Only they had just the Old Testament, okay? I'm, I'm a Jew because I have the sign as a man I've been circumcised. And you would add to that, I keep the fundamental laws of Judaism. I go for the three times a year to the central sanctuary. If I'm really holy, I keep all the feasts, okay? And Paul is saying this, this very powerfully. He says, no, a man or woman is not a Jew if he's one outwardly. Because circumcision needs to be of the heart. A person is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Now get this. By the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise comes from men, not from God. If you were to stand before God and you're sitting there, do you feel I'm easy with that? That's okay? Because I've already had integrity. 
Like as I've been speaking to you today, some of you for sure in an audience this big, you cheated on your income tax. So you say, Dave, what should I do about it? Well, we're getting really close, but you still got time. And this is what Paul is saying. By the Spirit of God living inside of me, by Jesus' grace, I'm going to not steal from the government. So I'm going to call my accountant and make the adjustments I need to make. And I want to challenge you. If you'll do that, you're going to be free. You can be free. And that's what you need to do in the next few hours. That's what Paul is saying. If you're living in a marriage and, you, and it's gone dead, you know, as a man, you feel like, I'm not attracted to my wife anymore. I'm, I, I'm attracted to a bunch of women at work. And I think they look a lot better than my wife. And you say, well, Dave, my wife's been nagging me like crazy. In fact, a, a, a guy that's working with other men in our church told me just a couple days ago that a man called him up on the phone and said, I, I just cannot be a one. I, I cannot love my wife. Now, what would be your response to that? I can't love my wife. A whole lot of you say, well, you got to love your wife. You really need to do it. And here's step one, two, and three to love your wife. You know what Paul is saying? And my friend, suddenly he got hit in the face. He was going, what do I tell this guy? And my friend that's been part of our church for a long time, my friend on the phone said to this guy, you know what? That's right. You can't love your wife the way you should. Boy, am I glad you've finally woken up and realized that. And his next sentence was, now go out and be immoral with another woman. Not what he said. He said, you know what? You can't love your wife this week, today, like you need to love her. And that's the truth. But do you have Jesus in your heart? He said, yeah. Then you got a new heart. How many of you men would say, I have Jesus in my heart? A lot of you would, right? Guess what? I have a new heart that makes me love Mary with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And Jesus' love for Mary inside of me grows every single day. And that's a miracle. Because without Jesus, I would be immoral. Did you hear what I said? And that's true of every man in this room. Because I've received a new heart. And I want you to understand what Paul is driving you to is for you to recognize that it's not all this religious formalism. It's not all this religious externalism. It's really being honest. If you have never received a circumcised heart, just think of circumcision. I have three boys. How many boys did Lane have? Three and four boys. So we got four boys. One's in the tank. And that, that's a person. Remember that? That's a person, not a fetus. Amen? Amen. So when Lane says, I know, and I, I just felt, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that. The doctor comes in, cuts that foreskin off. You know what it means to have a circumcised heart? It means your heart is soft. As I speak to you this morning, some of you have a soft heart. And I want to close with this. this. You know what this is like? Mary and I have dear friends that are cardiologists. One of the hardest part of their jobs is to call people in after they had stress tests and after they had arteriograms. And some of my cardiologist friends have to say to a guy who's lifting weights, running, they say, you need to come in my office right away and we're going to book you up 
at the Hamilton Unit in Baylor because tomorrow we're going to do heart procedures on you. And you know what a lot of you do? You go, that isn't true. I don't believe that. In fact, I think you're bigoted. I think you're wrong. I think you're just arrogant as you can be to think that there's something wrong with my heart. Don't you realize clogged arteries are... I was born with clogged arteries. It's not just in what I eat. It's in my Uncle Samuel that gave me this stuff. Have you ever heard that? And that's what's happening throughout America. People get mad when someone says, Hey, you don't have a physical heart disease. You have a spiritual heart disease. And until you realize, and until the people you're talking with realize that we've got spiritual terminal heart disease, then you're not going to go to the great physician. And this is the good news. Paul is saying, and he sets the stage for this. He sets the stage. I've got a great heart physician who doesn't just fix clogged arteries. He gives you a brand new system. New heart, new circulatory system, new life. Amen? That's what Romans is trying to drive you through. And I want you to be crystal clear. One of the major points we're going to have in the book of Romans is the purpose of God's law. The purpose of God's law is to be a great, a great angiogram spiritually. The only way to really know, like, for example, if you do have pressure on your chest this week, it's probably just stress because you've been working too hard. But if it stays up, and you get up and suddenly try to walk and you feel like you're going to cave in and you feel like if you're a guy, you start to have radiating pains. And if you're a woman, if you don't get those pains, but you got some, like someone's putting a foot on your chest, you need to go to a cardiologist. And then don't get mad at them when they say you got some clogs in your artery. We can fix you. The same thing's true spiritually. This morning, Paul's like a heart cardiologist, marvelous cardiologist. And he says to all of you, be honest, be open, have a sensitive heart, let the Lord convict you, then let it change you. Father, I just pray that we will have circumcised heart, and I want that circumcision to begin with my heart. I'd ask you, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, that we would be in your word on our own, not legally, but because we long to hear your voice. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would use today's message to help us to really understand that we need a circumcised heart. We need a radical heart surgery, and that's what Paul is setting up for us. I pray, Lord, you keep using Paul's MRI spiritually to faith us with the truth about our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter. Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.